0: So we are recording at an unusual time for the second consecutive week. What's going on here?
1: It's my fault uh, because I got COVID.
0: That is super unfortunate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to make a big hairy deal out of it because fortunately, uh, I've been lucky enough that I'm recovering well and no one else in my family got like actual noticeable symptoms really. Um, so that's, what's going on. Um, but I'm almost done with it. And I basically just, you know, normally I I didn't know whether to even mention this publicly or not. It's kind of embarrassing. Um, certainly to be a liberal person who thinks they're responsible and to get COVID, there's some degree of shame in it, um, and embarrassment in it, but, I decided to tell everyone anyway, just in this very quick thing um, before we get started on all the tech BS that we normally talk about, because I thought it was a lot safer than it was to to be in the place that I was, you know, occasionally go into a restaurant and stuff. We live in a small town where there were previously zero known cases total. Um, And so I was going into everyday life with a risk profile as if it was very safe. And fortunately it seems like almost no one in the town got it. Um, as I had to make all those phone calls to everybody, which is not a fun thing to do uh, saying, Hey, I got COVID and I, and I saw you sometime last week. So you might want to get tested. I was under the continued assumption in my mind that I was still at the same risk level as I was in the summertime. And the reason I'm saying this publicly on this show is that I want all of you out there to not make the same mistake I did and assume that you're currently at the same risk level that you were at in the summertime. I hadn't been paying enough attention to what's been going on recently. It is everywhere right now. Anything you were doing to keep yourself safe in April, you should be doing now. things should be way more shut down than they are based on, number of cases, exposure everywhere in huge parts of the, of the, at least the U.S. I S I haven't been paying attention to the much of the rest of the world yet. Be careful, be more careful than you, than you have been all summer because what's out there right now is way riskier and in way higher numbers than you might've been assuming these last few months. So please everyone, please be careful. Like we're lucky. It seems like, you know, I'm almost done with it. It seems like no one else got it from us. Thank God if any of these things went a little bit differently, it could have been a lot worse. And so please learn from my lack of accurate risk assessment and, uh, really be very careful. I, I, you know, we're heading into Thanksgiving. My family has canceled our plans for obvious reasons. A lot of people are doing the same thing. I would suggest considering that because again, we're, we're lucky that our symptoms were mild and that we didn't seem to infect anyone else along the way. That could have been very different. So, yeah. Please,
2: everyone, please be careful out there. I just want to add that I don't think you have anything to be ashamed of. Like, I think that, you know, despite the all the measures that we've all taken to try to do what we think is right, we're, like, I would, I would guess that every single person person probably in the entire United States, maybe even in the world, has been in scenarios where the only reason they didn't get infected is because nobody around them was infected. Like it is it is very difficult to sort of never put yourself in a situation where you might get infected. All of us are relying on basically luck to say, well, that one time when I hung out in too close quarters for too long while walking the dog with somebody, the only reason I didn't get it is because my neighbor Jill didn't have COVID. Right? Or the only reason I didn't give it to Jill at that point is that I didn't have COVID. Nobody is 100% safe 100% of the time. So we're all trying to do the best we can. And the fact that you got unlucky, uh, unless you're doing something egregious like going to bars every night, which you weren't, uh, I think you shouldn't feel ashamed of anything. You, you know, it's, it's bad luck. We're glad you, you pulled through. right? Um, and I think all of us, if you think, oh, well, uh, that happened to Marco, but he wasn't careful. Nobody is careful enough to be sure that they're not going to get it, unless they're just living like a hermit and literally never leaving. And then even then, who knows? So uh, if you think uh, you don't have to worry about it, because you're not going to be a dummy like Marco, Marco wasn't a dummy, and it
1: can happen to you too. Well, I was a little bit of a dummy in the sense that like we had been going to indoor restaurants sometimes because we thought our town was safe, you know. Like and and the reality is like I I've you know through all my you know contact tracing uh, that that I've been doing. I have found almost nobody else who had it at all. I have, I I have my, my likely risk narrowed down to like one interaction with one person who had it that lasted about a minute. Mm -hmm. And that, as far as I can tell, is the most likely place I got it. And it's it's that easy like that's all it could be
2: but but see the thing is a little light doesn't go in on your ear that tells you when you've been infected so you're just guessing and it's the best (laughs) you can do like every time i go to the supermarket i think look i've been going to the supermarket because that's where the food is and we do have to buy food uh but there are other people here, and I'm trying to stay away from them, and everybody's wearing a mask in my town. So, like, we're doing all the best we can, and we hope the ventilation is good, and we're spaced out in line, and we're doing all the things. But the bottom line is I know just, like, for a fact, if I was unlucky and I paused too long to get the peanut butter and the person next to me breathed out real hard and they had COVID, like, you know, it's it's just luck of the draw. You don't get it instantly from one little germ. Longer, The longer you spend, the more confined places. Like, we kind of know what the risk, p- risk profile is, but I don't think any of us have the kind of life where we can say, I'm never going to go to the grocery store anymore, right? I'm never going to go outdoors anymore. Like, I'm certainly not living that way. I'm doing the best I can within the constraints that I have. But, you know, for example, my wife goes to the office because she can't work from home at her job, and they've allowed people to go back in the office in limited amounts or whatever. Every time she goes into the office, she's bringing home everybody who was in that office with her in socially distant mask scenarios, so on and so forth. So, unfortunately, there's no way to have zero risk, which is why I feel like you were doing... More or less the best you can, maybe you you slacked off a little bit on going to the restaurants, which was a thing you didn't necessarily need to do or whatever but I don't think you should feel shame about that because the shame is not a useful thing right it's certainly not a great feeling
1: I'll tell you that but and I and that's the 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 shame of having to admit to myself and others that I got this uh, knowing that I didn't have a hundred percent perfect safety record was something that i underestimated like i underestimated how bad that would feel and and how how much of a fool i would feel like in retrospect like oh god i got it like i can't i can't believe why did we have to go to a restaurant like i can't believe even though by the way it seems like i didn't actually get it in the restaurant but it's 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 very strange i mean and and if you think like the system will save you in some way like will work for you in some way will tell you when people have it i can tell you at least in new york that's not happening Guess how many contact tracers have gotten in touch from the county health departments? Zero. Uh, Guess how much good the contact tracing app on my phone has done? Zero. (laughs) In either direction. I wasn't notified of any exposures. And I have, as far as I can tell, no way to submit my exposure. I'm lucky that I live in a small town and I know everybody. And so I've just been calling everybody and messaging everybody. And I contacted the mayor and the fire chief and everybody. Oh my goodness. Because it's a small town. Everyone knows each other. Everyone knows me. I know everyone. And so I I was able to get in touch with probably almost everybody who I would have seen (laughs) that week. And the only reason I found any other case of it was that some of the people I contacted told me, oh yeah, we got it a couple days ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, thanks, thanks. thanks for letting me know. <laughs> and that's it. And and so like, you know, the system is overwhelmed in so many ways. And and the system is not going to save you here. So, you know, take matters into your own hands and, and be way more careful than you think you need to be. And no place is safe. Place e- even if you, like me, made the stupid decision that your small isolated town with almost nobody in it uh would be reasonably safe since you never heard of anybody there getting it well some someone's got to be the first please be very 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 careful
0: All right, let's start with some follow up. Uh, I don't know if speaking of editing, this happened to get cut in the edit or if it just wasn't in the spot people expected. But we had a lot of people reaching out asking, hey, you never said what watch you were wearing, Casey, when it took or excuse me, what watch band you were wearing when it took a dive off of the roof of Aaron's car and cracked itself on the pavement. I did say it, it is quite possible it either hit the cutting room floor, or I think we might have gotten in like 17 different tangents as we are wont to do, and so maybe it wasn't exactly what you expected.
1: In all fairness... I recorded and edited last week's show with a 101-degree fever. So <laughs> <laughs> it might not have been my best editing job ever.
0: Right, exactly. Um, so if you wanted the answer to that question, you could have listened to the bootleg, and you can get access to that at ATP.fm. <laughs> 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 but uh, to directly answer the question, I was wearing, I, I always forget the name of it. It is the original like OG Sport Band, not the, the Solo Loop or the Sport Loop or whatever yeah, it sport is. Sport Band the sport band so the one with the clasp i had i cannot recall a time and i wear the sport band almost always when i have a watch on and i have a watch on almost always uh i cannot recall a time that one has ever just fallen off of my wrist like that and i swear to you it did if either one of you two knuckleheads told me this story i would have been like Yeah, right. But I swear to you, that's what happened. So uh, yeah, it was the traditional sport band. It's never happened to me before. And uh, I I don't expect it would ever happen again. But it was just colossally bad luck. So um, it is what it is.
2: Million in one shot, doc.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I'm sure that's a reference. I don't know what to. All right. YouTube DL, my beloved, my beloved, beloved command line app. It's back, baby. It's back on GitHub. This is such great news. This is extremely great news. So let me, get the, uh, let me get the kind of compulsory disclaimer out of the way. Um, I love GitHub, but GitHub has some troubling aspects to it. Uh, most specifically, they continue to work with the United States, really gross. Um, what is it? Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE, ICE. Um, Wait, they do? Uh, yes. They in do. what In and, what context? I, don't, they, I think they do on-prem for ICE or something like that. I'm not 100% sure. But my understanding, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, that's gross. But my understanding is they've been doing this for years. They have been called out on it. And they basically said, tough nuggies don't care. And that's super gross. And I just want to start out by saying that right out, right out front. Um, but leaving that aside, which I know is not easy for everyone. But for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to leave that aside. Uh, I am... Super pleased and excited about their response. So they put a blog post up a couple of days ago as we record, and it is called "Standing Up for Developers: colon, YouTube DL Is Back." And in this, they talk about how it's it's a lot here, and it is worth reading. It's not that long a post, but there's a lot there. Um, but basically, there was a DMCA takedown request that was, and jump in when you're ready, fellas. That was trying that that was citing a specific clause. That makes everything for GitHub a little more complicated. And I don't know if it's really pertinent what that clause was, but suffice to say, they had to go through a lot more process than normal. And working, I I guess, with the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, they came to figure out, oh, actually, this is not really a reasonable request. And so... Once there was a GitHub commit, which we'll put in the show notes, that fixed the thing that that the RIAA was most upset about, once that commit took out the code that that the RIAA was, or really the URLs that the RIAA was upset about, um, GitHub re-established or reinstated uh, the official YouTube DL repository as though it had never left, uh, which is super, super excellent news. I'm really, really excited about this. Uh, And beyond that... GitHub has said we're going to change the way we handle these sorts of things. We're going to give more advanced notice. We're going to give developers a chance to react to the to to, to the takedown requests and and perhaps fix the actual problem. And they've also said that they're creating or or if not creating, then they're uh, funneling a million dollars into a developer defense fund in order to help developers who can't really fight off the entire recording artist industry of America recording. What is it? RIA recording industry. industry. Yeah. Artists association association
1: of America. Although I think maybe a different a word might be better filled in there most of the time Yeah, for
0: real. But, uh, but the point is GitHub is putting a million bucks of their own money or Microsoft's money or somebody's money to, uh, (laughs) to start this developer defense fund. Uh, Again, I'm not saying GitHub is a perfect entity by any means um but I do think that this response it's it's not perfect but it's it's pretty t- pretty darn good and I'm I'm really pleased with it and I'm glad to see YouTube DL is back.
1: Yeah, this this shows a few big things. I mean, number 1, can you imagine the crap storm that must have fallen on GitHub as a result of taking it down to prompt yeah. this level of correction from them? <laughs> so, number 1 lesson is if you make tools that a lot of nerds use, and your product's main business is appealing to nerds, you better make sure you defend those tools on your platform. <laughs> um, but also, this this is less about GitHub having like a change of heart, and much more about the EFF having made a really good counter example, or counterpoint, or counterargument about it. Really. You know, GitHub has gotten a lot of the credit for this, but the credit falls almost entirely on the EFF. They basically, like, on behalf of YouTube DL, filed with GitHub this incredible, like, you know, counterpoint piece, basically saying this is invalid for, with this legal precedent for these legally sound arguments. And if you don't support the EFF yet, please set up a monthly donation to the EFF. I don't care how much you give them. Give them something every month, though. They are so important to our industry for so many reasons. They have they have fought in court many major battles that have that have benefited us. You're listening to this as a podcast. They've helped us directly by fighting podcast related patent lawsuits and other BS people try to try, try to throw at podcasting. Chances are, our listeners out there, like if you had to pick like one good cause to donate to that was maximally relevant to your field as a computer nerd, it's hard to find something better than the EFF to add to your list of who you give money to every month. So please add them to your list. Um, But that being, and I, I also, you know, some charities have like, you know, different kind of mixed, mixed bag records on things. You know, they, maybe you can feel good about some of the stuff they do, but not all the stuff they do. I can't think of a thing that EFF has been on the wrong side of. Like, I, I just can't. They, they are so above board and they, like, if you are a nerd, chances are they represent your beliefs and priorities very well. So give to the EFF anyway. So yeah, what happened here basically was the EFF stepped in and said, okay, the reason the, that the RAA picked that said that the, that the MCA applied here doesn't actually apply here's a whole bunch of evidence to back that up. GitHub, you know, undo this, please. And I I assume that was part, one of many parts of the crap storm that GitHub was receiving uh, that made (laughs) them really turn around on this. And so it's a a great victory, I think, for lots of things here. But um, in particular, we owe a great deal of thanks to the EFF.
0: Yep, agreed. John, no thoughts? I'm surprised.
2: No, I mean, everything came out well. Like the, the, I think the most important role of things like EFF, I also give money to them, is because in our legal system, if you're just like the developer of YouTube DL, it is it, uh, disproportionately onerous for you to try to fight this. That's why you need something like the EFF, who is staffed with, you know, they have money from people well, who give them money, and they're staffed with people who do this type of fighting all the time. They have the experience they have the expertise they have the money they have the time right it's a countervailing force against the raa which is like all we do all day is find people and tell them to stop what they're doing because they're infringing on our rights or whatever sometimes they are infringing on the rights sometimes they're not but when they're not it's so hard to to fight back in any way it's just it's just too much right and i think some credit goes to microsoft slash github um for being open to the eff's argument because in the end RA, you know, EFF can fight the battle, but Microsoft's on the line, or you know, GitHub's on the line for hosting the stuff, right? So they also have to have sort of the corporate will and and or the the savvy to know that it's really it's a really bad look if you're supposed to be like a, a haven for developers and then you just let them get screwed by the RA, right? So it's some combination of pragmatism, but also some amount of being willing to read the EF argument and go with it even though there are plenty of gray areas and you can say whatever you want but until it's tested in a court who knows right so uh, I, I give some credit all around I'm, I'm glad this came out the right way it seems so ridiculous though like when we were talking about it that like i kept thinking there was something i was missing about circumvention but like nope i wasn't missing i think it was just it was just literally like the dumbest possible thing you can imagine you've got urls to copyrighted videos and you read me in your test suite or whatever and you know That that's ridiculous. So I'm glad in the most extreme ridiculous case, uh, we have enough people fighting the good fight to turn this around.
0: Yep. No, this is very good news. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I think it was John last week had asked for somebody to find for us where it was that we did predictions on chip names and Cameron Dierdorf came through with a link. So John, who's the winner?
2: marco he nailed it he got yeah. the exact name m1 uh this when were we discussing this part of the reason we couldn't remember it 2018 <laughs> october oh, of october, october of 2018 was one of the many recurring conversations we had about r max and it, you know we said what What do we think it was an ask atp actually uh you know what what do we think it will be uh will be called i think uh, cameron's the one to send in the question um and my guess was they would just keep going with a's because hey a for everything a for apple that works uh that was not the case marco came in with the m's and he was so convincing that both me and casey were like yeah now that you say it that seems like the obvious thing to do casey also mentioned r as a possibility but by the end i think uh marco had turned all of us around and said yeah m (laughs) that that's and that was my recollection of it it was like didn't we say m was like the most obvious one but i couldn't remember who had come up with that and it was marco he also predicted uh letter suffixes uh you know m1 c m1 s m1 you know i think we i think at the time i said they haven't used z yet because they hadn't yet but now they yeah. <laughs> Z. um so there you go um 2018 m1 predicted by marco well done sir
0: all right tell me about our max and touch please
2: this was a big story because there's lots of interviews with apple execs about the new uh m1 max and we're going to talk about them later too Uh, And one of them, uh, this is, where was it? Was it in the Independent? Yeah. Uh, It was uh, Craig Federighi and and John Turnus, And and here's a quote from uh, CFed. I got to tell you, when we released Big Sur and these articles started coming out saying, oh my God, look, Apple's preparing for touch. I was thinking, whoa, why? We had designed and evolved the look for macOS in a way that we felt was comfortable and natural to us, not remotely considering something about touch. So lots of people are citing that and saying, all those stories you said about Touch Max coming because Big Sur was, like, spacing things out. Here's CFED saying, yeah, we did the spacing, but it wasn't because of Touch. And, and that he was surprised when people kept, you know, thinking we were preparing Touch. That not remotely considering something about Touch was, was is the the money quote here. Now, here's the thing. Uh, lots of people have cited the idea that Apple says one thing and the next year they do something different or whatever. I think this is different in nature uh, because... It's not saying that we think touch is a bad idea at all. In fact, this doesn't say anything about the future because Apple's never going to comment on future products. So, you know, Federighi's not saying we're never going to make Touch Max. We think they're a terrible idea. What he is saying is, when we did all that stuff to Big Sur, we weren't doing it because of touch. Now, we're probably not going to have time for this topic today, but in probably in the next episode, we'll talk about this. Uh, the, the obvious question that comes to my mind after reading that is like, okay. If you weren't doing that for touch, then why the hell were you doing it? <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. Otherwise, why am my icons so far apart in the menu bar? Why is everything so huge? It does... Anyway, we'll talk about Big Sur later. But I'm willing to take uh, Federighi at his word that the changes in Big Sur were not remotely considering something about touch. Like, I I find it baffling because I can't think of any other reason to space things out like that. But that's what he said, and I see no reason for him to lie about that. Because like I said, he didn't say there are no touch max coming. He just said the Big Sur changes were not because of touch. Time will tell. I can also point to like so many
1: of the issues I have with Big Sur are things like hover states. There's a way more like things that are hidden by default and you have to hover somewhere to get them to be revealed. And different, you know, modes that expose themselves on hover and stuff. And that's something that just doesn't work with touch. There is no hover with a touch screen. So if you were designing something for touch, you would never in a million years use hover states for anything. Whereas hover states feel like Alan Dye's favorite tool to use to hide anything, to, to solve any design problem. <laughs> so they've gone way in the opposite direction actually with this. So really, um, you know, this, this is not a UI design for touch. This is just a bad design.
2: Yeah, more more on that in a future episode probably because I think we do have more to say about it in specific details. But yes, that's definitely true. John, what's the next version of macOS? We discussed this on the show uh, a while ago, and I think uh, got another instance I can't remember what the hell we said. But um, so here's the question: uh, It used to be macOS 10 with the big Roman numeral X, you know, 10 thing, right? And then eventually they dropped that, and it was just macOS, and they in Big Sur they changed the version number from 10 to 11 right so it's mac os big server was mac os 11.0 right and as we've discussed in past episodes the question is then uh does does apple stick with mac os 11 for a while because they didn't really brand it as 11 we know the version number is 11 because we could find it although there was that point where uh, 10.16 was in the mix as well and we've discussed that in past episodes as well um but the question was do they stick with 11 like they did with 10 and do 11.1 next year and then 11.2 the year after that and 11.3 the year after that Or do they switch to an iOS-style numbering scheme where macOS 11.0 is this year, and then next year is 12.0, and the year after that is 13.0, and so on and so forth? We think we have the answer to that question because Apple just released macOS 11.1 beta, uh, which means they're probably going to spend the next year doing 11.2, 11.3, 11.4, and then next year they will do 12.0. So there you go. Problem solved.
1: Yeah, I'm glad they're doing it this way. I, I think it'll it'll make things a lot simpler to conceptualize and discuss and market, even though it is going to be a little bit weird that they're going to be offset from iOS forever now. <laughs> like, it's never going to yeah, match up. They could up, skip
2: numbers and catch up. You know, they could sync them up if they wanted.
1: Yeah, I guess they could, but I don't think they will.
2: But they did it with iPad OS. iPad iPadOS, the very first version of iPadOS, coincidentally exactly matched the version number of uh, <laughs> iOS.
0: How did we get to... What? Well, well, where did we end up? It was the uh, buzz off from the <laughs> reporter. Is that right? Um, that's what it was. Okay. So last week or maybe uh, in the weeks prior, we talked about a, a viral clip where a, uh, where a reporter had allegedly said a four letter letter expletive and then off because that's what the little video viral video had captioned it as. But in reality, if you close your eyes and listen, he said buzz off. And there is apparently a name for this. It's the McGurk effect.
2: I should have known this because I learned about this from my brother when he learned about it in school, uh, and I just couldn't pull the name from my head. Now, the McGurk effect, technically, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to a YouTube video and the Wikipedia page explaining it. Usually, the demonstrations are you see a human being's mouth moving, and the mouth makes like an M or an F sound, and depending on what the mouth is doing, the, the audio sounds like an M or an F because our brains are trained to, uh, you know... It, look at the way people's mouths are moving to figure out what it is that they're saying. Like we don't—it's not a thing that we consciously think about, but it happens, right? Um, but the, the more general case, and the one I was talking about with the brainstorm green needle thing, is you don't need to see anybody's mouth moving. It is merely audio. And like in the buzz off slash f off clip, text is the sort of the nudge, right? Because the the text in the f off video said f off, and because we know how to read and could see that text, it made us hear an f instead of a b. And uh, there uh, someone sent a really, really good variant of this. You two probably haven't looked at this, but I invite you now to both look at this. It's a TikTok uh, and it plays some audio and it has let me count them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different things, eight different things that they're saying, Okay, this audio, which one of these eight different things do you hear? Listen to this audio in this TikTok and look at the first item. And you will hear the first item. And look in the second item, and you will hear the second. Then look in the third, you will hear the third. If you think it's a trick, look at them in random order. Go in reverse, random. Whichever one you were looking at, that's the audio you will hear because our brains are weird. Please try it now. Oh, this is
0: not how I saw this going. This is like a techno thing. What is going on here? Just
2: look at, listen to the audio. What is happening? Pick any one of those things to look at and look at them in turn until you hear it.
0: Guys, my brain is broken. I mean,
2: it doesn't work without the the visual aspects. Oh my
0: God, my brain is broken. I don't like this at all. (laughs) It isn't,
2: isn't it upsetting?
0: (laughs) This is deeply upsetting. I don't, this is the worst nightmare I've ever had in my life.
1: Oh my God. That is deeply upsetting. (laughs) It's terrifying. Oh geez, that's
2: that's messed why up. Why did
0: you do this to me? This, why did, it's why like did the, you? It's like it's like those optical
2: illusions that no matter you know that even once you know the trick, you cannot see it the right way because our brain's just like no, that that one is in shadow and that one's in light and they're clearly not the same color. And It's like you can show yourself that they're the same color with you know like convince yourself with a little cutout and a piece of paper. When you take it away, your brain's like, yeah, no, you're never gonna see them as the same color. And this is one of those things just. <laughs> we know how to read and we've been doing it our whole life and you just look at one of those words and you will hear it as clear as day you'll hear it
0: that is deeply upsetting listeners if we haven't already if Marco hasn't already piped it into the episode don't click the link don't do it because it is nightmare fuel oh my god that's so terrifying Uh, wow that's wild that is very cool but extremely
1: terrifying And now that we've embedded TikTok in our show, it is time for TikTok to die. (laughs) Like, that's now, like, (laughs) the 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 boring old people have come in and taken it over, and now it's no longer relevant to young people. (laughs) Our our government is bored with that, so don't worry about it. We are sponsored this week by ExpressVPN. One reason why internet access, in the U.S. especially, is more affordable these days is because ISPs like Comcast or AT&T aren't just making money off of your subscription fees. They're also making money from spying on your internet activity and selling your history and data to big tech and ad companies. So what's the best way to make sure 100% of your data is encrypted and that your ISP can't see what you're doing? You guessed it, a VPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure tunnel between all your devices and the internet so that everything you do online is encrypted through that tunnel and it basically reroutes your connection through that tunnel to their servers so the way there your isp can't see it your isp only sees that you are connected to expressvpn to one of their servers but nothing beyond that like what you're using that connection for And it's not just for your phone or your computer. ExpressVPN works on all of your devices, tablets, smart TVs, even your router. So your entire family can always stay protected. And it's super simple to use. You just open up the ExpressVPN app, you tap one button to connect, and that's it. And I've personally enjoyed using ExpressVPN while I can travel also back when when you could travel uh, because it's incredibly fast so i was able to like watch video from my home video account and i didn't even notice it was running over a vpn it was just so fast So Your data is your business. Protect it at expressvpn.com slash ATP. Visit expressvpn.com slash ATP to get three extra months of ExpressVPN protection for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ATP to learn more. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring our show.
0: Uh, All right, I have a weird discovery that I'd like to uh, walk you guys through. And This came from me doing my middle-of-the-month taking all of my photos off my phone uh, tea ceremony. And so if you recall, the process by which I do this is I use photos, although as it turns out, I could use image capture. I use photos to create a new photos library on my Mac. I have it download or import all of the photos on my iPhone. I then export the unmodified originals. Then I run my bespoke Swift command line app to send those to the Synology renamed and filed as I see fit. Uh, and then I will typically use image capture to go into my phone and just bulk delete the photos that I don't want, that, that I've just, you know, imported. Right? It makes sense so far. So I went to do this, uh, and I couldn't delete any of my photos in image capture. And for the first time, I, when I don't recall ever having seen this before, it, next to Casey Liss's iPhone, uh, it had a little cloud icon. huh, well, that's weird. I wonder what that's about. But I was on my laptop at the time, which I just upgraded to Big Sur. So, Big Sur. So I uh, thought, okay, I'll just try again, you know, the next time I'm at my my iMac Pro. So the next day, I sit down at my iMac Pro, and I go to do the same thing. I go to, you know, hook up my iPhone to image capture, and I look, and it's got a cloud icon. Huh. Well, what's that about? Do you guys happen to know what that's about?
2: Do you not have your phone set to download all originals to your phone? Do you have it set to optimize storage?
0: Well, but that doesn't matter because I don't use iCloud Photo Library.
2: Do you mm, use Photo um, Stream? Yeah, do you have Photo Stream on or off?
0: I do, but it's always been on. That's always been the case.
2: Huh? Is, it, is your is your phone still downloading stuff from the iCloud backup and it's not done yet?
0: <laughs> no, I use the uh, once called iTunes, now called Finder backup.
2: I mean, it's a cloud icon. Clearly, it's trying to talk to you. If only the people who made this computer had some way to communicate with you other than tiny icons.
0: tell me about it. So here's the thing. So I thought, huh, let me look into this. So I go into, uh, where did I go? I went to settings. I went to photos. Huh? There's this section called iCloud photos and it's on. And I don't remember turning that on. So, Hey everyone, I'm using iCloud photo library now. And I didn't even realize it. (laughs) So I think what had happened was Uh, during launch day, I forget specifically what it was, but I remember in the haste of like, you know, switching phones and, and downloading everything and so on and so forth, I got told that uh oh my iCloud is running out of storage. And I'm starting to use iCloud these days, not for iCloud Photo Library. Well I am, as it turns out, but I didn't know it. But I've, I've been using iCloud for things like my gift-wrapped library, which is not that big, but no, I'm putting more and more stuff in notes. I'm putting stuff like Solver documents in iCloud. And so I'm using more iCloud than I, than I had been. And so in the haste of just getting through this, you know, day of transfers and so on and so forth, I said, okay, fine, just, just give me the $1 plan, whatever, ah, fine. And I guess maybe during that process, it decided to opt me into iCloud Photos. Maybe I tapped something and I didn't realize it. I'm, I, I, I'm not here to say that Apple did any, anything nefarious. But it was just funny to me that apparently, unbeknownst to me, I am now using iCloud Photo Library for all my images going forward. So the next step, which I haven't done yet, is to actually embrace it and you know set up a proper Photos Library on my Mac and start sucking in all the stuff from the Synology and so on and so forth. But given the amount of grief I've gotten about <laughs> not using iCloud Photo Library, Imagine or photo library, imagine my own surprise when I go to that settings screen and say, huh, I'm using iCloud Photo Library. Who knew? I didn't.
2: Your accidental activation actually has a nice side effect because in within your current workflow, the thing where you take your photos off your phone once a month, Mm -hmm. during that month, the photos, if without iCloud Photo Library, are just on your phone. So if you drop your phone into a lake halfway through the month, you lost 15 days worth of pictures that are on your phone. But now those are in the cloud for you. So there you go.
1: I, I also love that you felt so strongly against iCloud photo library that all it took for you to literally just change your mind about it and move to it was one setting having been changed. <laughs>
2: uh, I mean, well, he didn't do it intentionally. <laughs> you,
1: you could literally just like toggle it off with like two. And, clicks. But That's
2: not that's not the real library, though. Like, that's the thing. That's just the fo- pictures he takes on his phone. Right.
0: Yes. Yes, that's true.
2: And baby steps. <laughs> you
0: know, <laughs> yeah, it, it's baby steps. Like, and so it's I still like you're like you to... look a picture
1: of conviction here. Like I'm not going to use iCloud photo library. Damn it!
2: Unless I accidentally turn it on and I'm unaware. Of. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I guess now I'm all in.
0: I don't consider this honest goodness buy-in until I do what I described a moment ago, which is I take all of the photos from the Synology, make a duplicate on my iMac, and
2: yeah, and that's a, and that's a big thing that you should really think about I and know. plan out. But in the meantime, what you've unintentionally done is improved your current system by shoring up one of the weaknesses.
0: That is true. That is true. So I thought that that was quite funny. Um, Please do not give me any more grief about it. The point was to have a good laugh with me and then everyone be quiet, please. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. Uh, I have some other new things in my life. I ordered new Apple Watches for Aaron and I. And. I wanted mostly, since I know these watches are old now and nobody cares, uh, I wanted mostly to talk about a couple of things. First of all, have you guys ever done the courier service That's I thought new in the last like six to 12 months, but maybe it's older than I realized? Are you familiar with this at all?
1: I sure wish my area had it now. Yes, (laughs) I bet you do, Mark. And they don't. They did. I have used it for an Apple TV once. But I have, I can tell you right now that as of this past week, they do not offer the courier service in my area for either phones or (laughs) laptops.
0: Well, I didn't try phone or laptop, but I did try the, you know, now one or two month old uh, Apple Watch Series 6. And I was going to buy, you know, Aaron one and me one. And I was looking at the shipping options and depending on what band you get and what model you get, um, you know, the shipping was anywhere between very quick and not for a month. And so uh, what I did was I was looking at the other different options and I realized, wait a second, it said, you know, same day delivery or something like that. And I was doing this in the morning time. So I thought, huh, let me see what that is. And so sure enough, do you guys happen to know how much this is? Because I do, but I I was expecting it to be far more than it actually was. Do you know how much this is, Marco?
1: I think when I did it for the Apple TV, it was something like eight bucks. It It was absurdly cheap for what it was.
0: It was $9. (laughs) So I spent darn near $1,000 on Apple Watches. You bet your ass I'm going to spend $9 (laughs) to get that thing couriered over to me. Um, So yeah, so I ordered, I don't remember exactly what time it was, but it was somewhere around eight or nine in the morning. And uh, the nearest available delivery window was like four in the evening or afternoon. And I think it was four to six. I think I have that right and sure enough at like 430 ish uh, the courier I start getting you know like notifications in the Apple Store app and I start getting like text messages from Apple saying hey you know the courier has been assigned the courier is picking up your thing the courier's on its way um, actually in the Apple Store app they had like a, a live map you know much like many of these delivery services these days to show exactly where the courier was which was super cool um, interestingly A no touch option did not seem to be allowed. They specifically said in several different places that somebody needed to be there to pick up the order. Um, so this, this, you know, very young gentleman came to the door. He had his mask on. I had my mask on because I knew he was just down the road, you know, a minute before because I was watching him cruise to my house like a stalker. And so anyway, um, he just handed me the bag. He didn't ask for ID or anything like that. Um, and then went on his way. And interestingly, there were a couple interesting things about this. First of all, they gave me the standard, like very, very wide Apple store bag, you know, not very deep, very, very wide because it's for these watch, you know, boxes that are, that are huge. Um, but I guess because strictly speaking, it had been shipped, they had two of those huge, gigantic, like lithium ion battery, be careful <laughs> stickers on them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the, <laughs> the like UN uh, or,
1: 234 notifications, or whatever. Yeah, are. I forget.
0: You know what I'm thinking of. I forget exactly what it is, but yeah, those like big red and white ones. Um, and then I looked at the sticker, and sure enough, apparently it was Postmates that delivered it, which was interesting to me because i had no idea postmates was in my area i thought it was still only in like the new york and la's of the world i didn't have a clue that it was all the way out in podunk richmond virginia Uh, but apparently postmates was what delivered it and it was easy peasy Uh, it went really really well and i would definitely do that again for nine dollars if i'm spending the kind of money i was spending uh today or you know a couple days ago so it worked out really nicely uh very very quickly about the watch um the watch hardware we've covered is very nice. The uh the blood oxi- oximetry whatever pulse ox thing. It's nice to have that on my wrist. You know, that's good. And it's very good for Marco. It's good for mm-hmm. me too. Uh I got the is it the solo loop which is the sport band without a clasp is that what it's called solo yeah. loop? Yeah. Did
1: you get the size right on the first try? I did. Whoa. But here's
0: the thing. Here's the thing. First of all, I'm ordering, you know, literally two days ago. Uh, and so because of that, I have, I have had everyone's like um, refinements to their strategy that I've been made privy to. You know, So like, don't get it super duper. Don't get the little paper thing super duper tight on the wrist. Just get it kind of tight on your wrist. And more than anything else, I'll have to dig up this link for the show notes. But uh, Gruber's, here's what you have in a sport band, you know, the, the classed sport band. Here's what you're probably going to want in the solo loop. And that was spot on for both Aaron and me. And that worked out really nicely. So I am, I believe, a six in the sport band, or excuse me, in the solo loop. Um, and I think you and I, Marco, were in the same uh, n- hole in the in the sport band. So on the smaller, because I'm using a 40 millimeter watch, on the smaller of the available sport bands, when I classed it, it would be two empties and then where the pin goes. I know this is hurting you to not use the right ter- terminology. I'm so sorry, Marco.
1: But <laughs> empties. Yeah, it's like, like they're beer cans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right
0: well you know what i'm saying yeah and i think you and i were the i'm same on size. no I'm, I'm
1: on the i have one empty followed by the pin but i too am a size six in the solo loop but honestly i i haven't been wearing my solo loop i've been back to my regular sport band
0: oh interesting why is that
1: i i don't know if it's just like this, this the way the sizing works on me but the sport band is just a little bit more comfortable for me and i find the loop oh. to be a little hotter Because, like, you know, the sport band, because it has the little excess tail that tucks under it, and because it has the, you know, whatever, nine holes in it, um, or if you can even go even holier if you'd like with those Nike ones, there is (laughs) some degree of ventilation that you get, like, because you don't just have a, you know, one-inch wide strap of rubber on your entire wrist – you have like small gaps where just, you know, where it pushes off from it because of the spacing of the tail or the holes let some air in or whatever. And so it's just, it's slightly more ventilated with the regular sport band. Like the, the solo loop almost fits too well. And so as a result, I find the solo loop less comfortable. Um, I also find just the way it works out with sizing for me right now that, like, sometimes during some parts of the day, the solo loop size six is a little snug for, for for my comfort, but the size seven's way too big all the time. So I I I think I'm maybe possibly like a little bit between sizes on the solo loop, uh, whereas mm-hmm. the sport band just works out better that way. And one of the great things about the sport band is like if you find yourself between two sizes, you always have the option of subbing in. If you're one of the middle sizes, you have the option of subbing in like the long or the short side if both of them can kind of fit. Because then the different length of the excess tail will actually give you a slightly different fit between each mm-hmm. pair of holes. And so, like, sometimes you can kind of fake a half size by swapping out to the different tail. You have no such option like this with the solo loop. You know, whatever size it is, that's the size it always is, period. So, if it fits you well, which it sounds like yours does, then great. Uh, but I'm unfortunately not one of those people. And so, I'm very totally fine to be back on the uh, regular sport band with the pin
2: i feel like the biggest difference between the the solo loop and the regular one is that the solo loops necessarily are you know intentionally elastic you it has to get big enough for you to get your hand through it right um and so once you you know the material itself is, is pulling at you if you have solo loop size so that it doesn't press against you with its elasticity it's too big right it has to actually be against your skin in most places but a solo loop that is against your skin, unless you are extremely lucky, is actually its elasticity is pressing it against your skin. Whereas if you get a regular thing sized the right way, I, f- I feel like a regular thing that doesn't have as much elasticity, if you get that sized right, it doesn't feel like the elasticity of the band is causing it to squeeze your wrist. Right? It's whatever hole you put it in, and it's not going to get. In, it's not trying to get any smaller than the hole you put it in. Whereas the solo loop is always trying to get like a little bit smaller if it's snug on your wrists. So I can imagine as someone who can't stand having anything on their wrists, that even that just tiny bit of elasticity makes it feel like the band wants to be smaller than it is. And that can be annoying.
0: Yeah, mine fits ever so slightly looser than I would prefer, because I actually prefer it to be a little bit tighter, but it's not to the point that it bothers me or that I notice it most of the time. Getting the watch on and off is fine. I use the Studio Neat Dock, one of the original Studio Neat Docks, so I don't have any issues with like laying it flat on the charger because the charger is held upright. Um all in all I really like the Solo Loop. It is a lot lighter than the uh the sport band which in and of itself I, I mean day to day I don't really notice but you can tell the difference if if you're paying any attention. Uh but I really like the Solo Loop more than I expected. And hypothetically the next time I wash Aaron's car my watch won't go catapulting off my wrist which would be an improvement. Um very quickly the brightness of the watch I feel like I do notice particularly in the in the daylight. Um, and otherwise it's just, it's very nice and it, it's worked out real nicely. And I'm really glad to have, uh, blood oxygen readings taken all the time. Cause I'm super paranoid. Uh, so yeah. So, Hey, you know, those watches that came out like two months ago, you should probably think about getting one. They're pretty good. <laughs> Who knew?
1: We are sponsored this week by Linode, my favorite place to run servers. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing an enterprise's infrastructure, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux Virtual Machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. I personally host Almost anything I do online these days, everything that has servers, I host that on Linode. I've been a Linode customer for almost a decade now, long before they sponsored anything I did. Because I looked around, and I did my research, and I tried out some hosts, and they're the best. It's simple as that, and I've been with them the entire time since then. Because not only did they start being the best almost a decade ago but they've continued to be the best that entire time. I've used a lot of web hosts in my career. Linode is by far my favorite one. They have great pricing, great support, amazing capabilities. It's just great. They have 11 data centers worldwide, all sorts of things that you might need, from general needs to specialty needs. They have a new S3-compatible object storage system. See all this for yourself with $100 in free credit at linode.com ATP. Or you can also text ATP to 474747 and you will get instant access to that $100 in free credit. So once again, linode.com slash ATP. Go there, create your free account there today or text ATP to 474747 and get started today on Linode. I love Linode. It is my favorite web host by far. If you need to run servers for whatever your needs might be, check out Linode today. Once again, linode.com slash ATP or text ATP to 474747 and get access to $100 in free credit. Thank you so much to Linode for hosting all my stuff and sponsoring our show.
0: All right, let's move on and talk about um, M1 Mac performance, if we can, please. So since we've last recorded, embargoes have dropped geek benches have been, or geeks have been benched, I guess I should say. Uh, And as it turns out, everyone is saying, holy smokes, these things are fast. So break this down for me, one of you. Maybe we can start with Marco. Are these really that fast? Is it possible for these to be that fast?
1: It sure is. And they sure are. And it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I was kind of extrapolating in last week's show based on the A14 scores in Geekbench, you know, and, and then knowing that this, that the M1 had twice the performance cores, basically trying to extrapolate, like, what do we think the performance will be? And I think I was roughly correct, but it's actually even better than I predicted. I, I think I didn't predict quite how high the single core would be. Um, but regardless, it it's so much better than most of us would have assumed that this could be in this... Power class, basically, you know the the M ones that we have right now. We basically have the same computer in th- in three different enclosures. Like it's not that different between the the Mac Mini, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and the MacBook Air that we have. Uh, they all have the same processor, roughly, uh, and they all just have different thermal characteristics. Basically, the uh, the peak performance of the MacBook Air. Is the same as the other two performances, and then the MacBook Air just get, it, it thermally throttles down. If you push it really hard for more than a couple of minutes, it'll it'll start getting a little bit slower. But even like even in its throttled down state, the MacBook Air is still faster than I think almost every laptop, or if not every laptop that Apple's ever made. <laughs>
2: so yeah, it's, it's <laughs> worth going through the actual numbers here just to like you know we had preliminary numbers last time it's like well someone submitted these numbers but who knows if it's real or whatever and they looked like they were in the ballpark so we believe them but now we have the official numbers and it, it's correct so speaking of geekbench uh single core macbook air is almost 1700 1687 and th- that varies so we just round up to 1700 right the previous champion single core performance was 1200 and change for the the iMac the 5K <laughs> iMac with the low core count or whatever so single core it's big right multi core as Marco predicted last time uh, the only things that can beat it are the things that either have more cores or are much bigger and hotter CPUs with the same number of cores so the only thing faster in multi core is the iMac Pro the Mac Pro and the 5K iMac with eight cores right um, w- which means that. The MacBook Air, with no fan, is basically faster in CPU than every any lap, uh, Mac laptop that Apple has ever sold. Right? We were worried about maybe it won't keep up in multi multicore. Nope, it does. Don't worry about that. Um, there, so one of these articles from Mac Rumors did the thing that we were talking about. Was like, let's let's try an, a, an M1 Mac, but with everything emulated. Uh, you know, an and, and Apple Silicon emulating x86 is still faster. Than every other Mac in single core, <laughs> right? Just you know, it's, uh, that's how big the lead is in single core. When you add the overhead of emulation, nope, it's still the fastest Mac ever. So if you're worried, like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to get an M1 Mac, but if I use mostly programs that haven't been ported, they'll be slow. No, they will still be faster than literally every other Mac in single core ever. Like the Mac Pro, anything, name any Mac at any price, it's it's ridiculous, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, like uh, Matt Panzerino, TechCrunch did the benchmark we were asking for, which is what about unzipping although he should have spelled zip with an x on xip what about unzipping xcode is it fast at that and we were wondering is that io bound is it multi-threaded blah 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 no it's super fast at that the m1 max are the fastest Macs you can buy if your goal is to unzip multi-gigabyte xcode things they're taking (laughs) somewhere around five minutes whereas a mac pro is taking 10 minutes (laughs) it's it's really ridiculous um the disc speed, uh, our predictions on that were more or less uh, correct as well. It's basically twice as fast as the old one because as Marco said last week, uh, the old one was slow. The old one wasn't great SSD, right? But <laughs> even just compared to the best SSDs available in other Macs, the M1 Macs have really good IO performance. So if you're waiting for us to get to the downsides of these machines, uh, don't hold your breath because you know it's they're, they're exactly as impressive as we thought they would be. And honestly, I'm... I, this is like third degree, uh, you know, backlash to the backlash to the backlash. I'm still, I still remain surprised that people who are not in the Apple industry are surprised because it's like they hadn't been paying attention. It's like they haven't been listening to ACP for five years, right? <laughs> Every time a phone would come out, we would we would look at the phone. And the beginning was like, let's make fun of John's ten year old computer by saying, "Oh, I got a new phone, and my phone has a faster CPU than your than your 2008 Mac Pro," right? And then eventually, it was the new phones have faster single-core performance than any of our Macs. And then eventually it was, (laughs) the new phones have faster single-core performance than any Mac you can buy at any price, right? That all happened, right? So to think that they were going to introduce a Mac that was somehow slower than that didn't make any sense. We always knew it was going to be like this. It's just a question of how much and to what degree, right? And so... It, you know it still doesn't take away from the performance but that's why i think you see some of the stories where people's initial reaction kind of like the initial iphone reaction from blackberry which i think gruber cited, was like this can't be real like because if you're not paying attention to apple and you just you know you just tangentially catch wind of this story and they're like apple releases a new mac uh, laptop with no fan that is faster than any mac laptop ever sold and it costs 999 like whatever is it that's ridiculous it must be some custom tailored benchmark thing nope they really really are that fast uh some more fun stuff from panzer's review um one of the tests was rendering five minutes of 8k video at 60 frames per second uh the m1 macbook pro used extremely little power to do this task just 17 percent of of its battery was used to output an 81 gigabyte 8k render right so they (laughs) they rendered this thing this this is not about like we're not saying time because timing it was good too but it's saying how much battery do you use to render out this 8k file the the uh, macbook pro you, you the yes this is the m1 macbook pro not the macbook air use 70 percent of its battery to do this the 13 inch macbook pro with an intel processor could not even finish the task on one battery charge oh, so memory. it used more than 100 <laughs> percent of it's battery. It's like this <laughs> is what we talk about performance it's like yeah but does performance really matter battery life matter not only is this thing doing things faster it's doing them with like hugely more battery life um this is Neil I. Patel saying uh, that yeah, he, uh, someone in his life, I'm assuming it's his wife Becky, or maybe not. Uh, says I purposely bought Becky a maxed out Core i7 MacBook Air a few months ago because she has to run one Windows app for work. This uh, i7 MacBook Air scored 2867 in Cinebench with the fans, you know, up running at max the whole time. The new MacBook Air just silently scored six thousand eight hundred three. <laughs> so, like, you know, I'm going to get you a maxed out uh, i7 MacBook Air because you really need to do this. And it's you're getting, like, two to three times the score in, in a computer with no fan. It's ridiculous. Um, two more superlatives, and I think I'll be done. I tried to pick out the, the most ridiculous ones. This is from Anatech. This, we'll put this link in the show notes, and it's a great article if you want to read about a deeper dive into what the CPU can do. they were doing Anatech in typical fashion. They're doing all sorts of, you know, every benchmark you can possibly imagine. They're somewhat limited by which benchmarks are natively compiled for ARM at this point, but they were doing the best they can, right? Um, So this is, you know, and and Anitech is not just comparing them as other Macs. They're saying, like, industry-wide, what is this like, right? All right, so uh, then they're doing the Mac Mini in this case. The 2020 Mac Mini is at least 50% faster than the 2017 MacBook Pro with a Radeon Pro 560, in the base mark gpu benchmark so that's a macbook pro with a discrete gpu so they're they're benching this the mac mini against you know uh, the biggest gpu not the biggest gpu but one of the discrete gpus in a macbook pro uh the newer macro pros will do better of course but keep in mind that this is an integrated gpu with the entire chip drawing less power than just the macbook pro's cpu never mind its discrete gpu so it's not it's not even fair to compare these because not only does this thing draw less power than the macbook pro with a discrete gpu that it beat what they're just comparing is the power of the soc to the power of just the cpu they're not even adding in the power used by the actual gpu that they're benchmarking in so any sort of power <laughs> comparison that you see for these m1 max where they say oh the m1 was using this amount of watts and then this computer cpu is rated at this amount of watts but the gpu if it's a discrete gpu is a whole other chip that has its own power draw. it's fairly ridiculous um and finally this is uh, spec the spec benchmark SPEC All caps, Spec uh, 2017. Um, this is comparing it against a CPU that actually beats it in some way, right? In the in the overall new spec to 2017 integer and floating point charts, the Apple Silicon M1 fall behind falls behind AMD Zen three in integer performance. However, it takes an undisputable, undisputable lead in floating in the floating point suite. While AMD Zen three hold, still holds the lead in several workloads, we need to remind ourselves that this comes at a great cost in power consumption. In the 49 watt range, while Apple M1 is using seven to eight watts. <laughs> <Good grief. laughs> so it, the only CPU that could beat it was using basically 50 watts, right? You know, more than five times the power draw to barely edge it out in integer performance, but still lose to it in floating point. The M1 is an absolute monster. Every single Mac that uses it benefits from it in exactly the ways that you would think. And the battery life is 100% real. So if you had any reservations about these Macs for performance, noise, heat, temperature, battery life concerns, I would say you can put them by the wayside. The compatibility issues and so on and so forth still exist, but wow, these are good computers. Yeah.
0: Well, but do we know that? Because none of us have one, right?
2: We both have them. Didn't Marco, do you have one? I've had it for about two hours now. <laughs> I've had it for a couple of days, so I can give you a little bit more Um uh you know impressions of it remember this is going to be the homework laptop so i'm not actually going to be the one using this but of course i am the one that set it up so i did have time to use it during the setup process which actually is fairly instrumental because if you can think of what it's like when you set up a new mac laptop uh, there are a bunch of parts of that that are actually fairly stressful uh migration assistant itself if you're using that which i did uh, can be fairly stressful to the computers involved right depending on how you do it and, you know, like what, how they're connected over the network and how much stuff you have and so on and so forth. But it's not uncommon to hear the fans spin up when you run Migration Assistant on a laptop. Obviously, I didn't hear that on my MacBook Air because it has no fans. When it was running Migration Assistant, I picked it up and put my hand on the bottom to feel if it was warm. It was room temperature. There was no discernible difference in temperature whatsoever from feeling the bottomless thing during migration assistant. I also ran software update because, like, whatever it is, 11.0.1 uh, came out, and this machine didn't ship with it. Um, so it needed to run software update. When you run software update, it's not uncommon to hear your Mac laptop's fans spin up. But this has no fans, so you didn't hear that. When it was running software update and installing the operating system or update thing, I felt it with my hand, and it was room temperature. Like, it, you know... It's not to say these things can't get warm. So there's plenty of YouTube videos you can watch. It's like, okay, now I'm going to run this massive CPU-GPU benchmark for 20 minutes at a time. How hot does it get? It it does get warm, but A, not nearly as warm as an Intel laptop, and B, the thermal throttling penalty of this MacBook Air seems to be about 15 to 20% in worst-case scenario, as measured by work output. So one of the ones I saw was doing like a Cinebench benchmark, and it did the same benchmark over and over and over and over again. To see how the performance dropped so the first one was about 15% higher than like the 10th run right and remember that 15% think of that 15% you're losing for thermal throttling in light of how much faster this MacBook Air is than all those other things we just listed before. (laughs) It's almost nothing. And then the MacBook Pro and the Mini don't throttle at all, seemingly. Not only did the MacBook Pro and Mini not throttle at all, supposedly, but the fans apparently are so low RPM that you can't even hear them. Gruber claimed to literally have never heard the fan, which is a claim that I can understand as a fellow old person with Marco's uh, Airport Extreme that he gave me <laughs> that has a fan in it, ostensibly, but I literally cannot hear it. Like, you can make everybody in the house be totally quiet, and I can shove my ear like up to the thing, I can't hear the fan. And so I'm willing to believe that there is a fan but that it can't be heard by 40 something year old people uh in a normal house right so it's all pretty amazing um the thing that uh craig federighi was uh bragging about in the thing uh in the keynote about wake from sleep you know i i tested that uh and it's like the thing about this i have a orc laptop i use all the time when i left the lid on my work laptop the screen comes on instantly so i'm like well, what do they mean by wake from sleep instantly don't you know the problem with a work laptop it's all locked down right so i have to type in my password or use touch id or whatever to unlock it anyway right because it you know if you close the lid it, it locks up right but i'm like when i lift my laptop lid it the screen always comes on instantly so how much faster can that be the thing that i had not accounted for and i mostly blamed on weird work stuff where i have to like you know connect to the vpn and i don't know what i was blaming on but just assume oh this is just always slow because of work stuff but whatever it is on this new macbook air the thing that is blowing me away is how fast it unlocks with Touch ID. I'm In my work laptop, I'm forever putting my finger on the Touch ID thing and then just waiting, and my finger is just on it. I'm like, come on, come on, see that my finger's there, see it, see my finger, see it, unlock, see my, oh, there it goes, Okay. My finger spends so much time on that Touch ID sensor on my work laptop because I'm waiting for the computer. Like the screen is on. I lift the lid, the screen is on instantly. And I see my little face and the little thing that says type your password or use Touch ID. And I put my finger on the thing immediately. And then I got to wait for the computer to get around to deciding to scan my finger. This MacBook Air, it's like if you brush your finger against the thing it unlocks. Like, it it is always (laughs) ready to read your finger. It's like a phone. You know when we had phones with Touch ID? You'd take out your phone and put your finger on the Touch ID thing, and it would unlock instantly. You wouldn't wait around with your thumb on the Touch ID sensor going, come on, phone, come on, come on, read my finger. Oh, there it unlocked. This is like that, and it is glorious. Do you have it there with you right now? Uh, No, my
1: kids have it. (laughs) Next time you have it, try changing the screen resolution oh what should i what is it non-native it's instant there is no flash there's no fade through black what it's just boom it's as if you're resizing a window
2: i gotta try that yeah i didn't i i mean i set it up for them i just to finish my story i I did the migration system put all the stuff on it everything worked flawlessly uh the, the all the software like i ran i launched the first intel app it's it prompted me to install rosetta i did it installed it it ran like compatibility has been 100% perfect. Even before I started downloading the, you know, ARM optimized versions of various apps there, I'm sure there are caveats for like, you know, depending on what app you use, maybe it doesn't work that way. If you're doing development work with a bunch of Unity stuff and none of that is ported like that's those are all actual, absolute valid concerns. But for my specific use case, which is have a laptop that kids can use to do school work on, you would never know this wasn't in Intel. It is so fast, everything runs fine. And it's just like you know, my kids were looking at. It, they're like, "Why did you get another one of the same laptop?" I'm like, "It's not. <laughs> it's not it, it couldn't be any different." I, I don't think they've noticed that the fan isn't there. But like, if your if you, if your kids are on like Zoom all day, like the fans kick on, right? It's just annoying to have the fans going and just and just have that not be an issue and not have it get get hot because it shouldn't be. All they're doing all day is they're they're using web browsers. They're in Zoom. They're maybe launching Google Docs or Microsoft Word. That's all they do. This is super light work. I should never hear the fan on that Intel one, and I do. And this one, no fan, very fast. I love it. Thumbs up right up until the kids drop down the stairs and break it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we have some real-time follow-up from Jason Snell who says, and I'm quoting, holy hell, that display resolution changes instant.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm telling it's, you. like uh, It isn't something you out. do very often, but it's like you know you know what it looks like from all the other macs you know it it fades to black for a second all the windows like reload and pop into a different place like it's it's you know
2: clunky it takes a few seconds for some reason this is now instant it's just this is and and it's so weird because it's not as if ios devices had have a specially optimized path for resolution because they never i mean i guess they do when you change the zoom factor but that's like just doesn't like all of springboard restart when you do that (laughs) yeah I, i don't know well i'm here's the thing like all, all bets are off in terms of what you what the expected behavior of a mac is because as i tried to express to my kids even though it looks the same on the outside it's got the same keyboard and a very similar screen what's inside is like entirely changed it's not just that they took one chip out or replace it with a different one everything is different all of those chips that control the io and uh, you know the ram like if you you can just compare the motherboards i'd be surprised that you know if there's only a handful of chips that are in common for things like wi-fi or whatever but who knows right it's it's just an entirely different machine it's yes it's very much like an ipad shoved into a max case right but that's a good thing and so the the sort of performance characteristics or what's slow and what's fast or what it can do with what amount of effort it's just an entirely new set of rules that we'll just have to get used to
1: yeah i mean that's to me the the most shocking thing about this so far is that there seems to be no catch. Like, you know, everything about computing and so many things in life is trade-offs and, you know, you got to, well, to get this thing, you got to give up this other thing and, and oh, well, we made it faster this year, but the catch is it runs super hot or, you know, we, we raised the price or whatever. Like, there's, there's so many catches every time we make any kind of progress. And this just doesn't seem to have any like, the, the, I guess the catch is you can't virtualize Windows right now, which for many people is a really big deal, and for many people it doesn't matter at all. So as long as that is not a, a problem for you, there seems
2: to be pretty much no other catch. Well, I mean, there's the there's the time-based catch, which is, like, the people who are have, have Unix stuff. Like, oh, Docker's not ported. My Unix stuff isn't there. I can't use Homebrew or whatever. Like, that is all true, but we also assume... That's only temporarily true because that was true. when when they went to Intel, it was true. when you know, not for the Unix stuff, but when you to PowerPC, those ports will happen. You have to wait for them. Oh, Photoshop's not out for ARM yet. uh, But like there's a beta for it or whatever. Oh, Homebrew says it's not going to have a version out for a while. Oh, Docker doesn't. But but like we imagine in the next year, if you care about this, which is, you know, not not the general use case of just especially for a MacBook Air of just using GUI apps. But if you care about the Unix stuff, that will take a little while to come. But it's not like the machine, it's not like you have to buy a new Mac then, right? The software will come eventually and you'll have it. But if you desperately, if you spend all day using Docker and Node or something, don't get one of these Macs and then be freaked out that you can't use Docker and Node. But if you buy one of these Macs now and use it for web browsing and email, in a year, it'll do all that stuff and it'll do it super fast. Yeah, and and the, the only
1: other major downside is that, like, not the entire lineup has this as an option yet. You know, if if you want a desktop with a built-in screen, like an iMac, or you want an expandable desktop, like a Mac Pro, or you want a 15-inch laptop, or a 13-inch with, with all the ports and everything, like, they don't satisfy those needs right now. But they will. Like, give it a year, and I think we're going to have almost all those major needs solved. Like, I, I bet by this time in 2021 we're going to have the 16 inch we're going to have the iMac like we're we're going to have most of the range covered and you know yes there's going to be machines with more than 16 gigs of ram like they they're, they're going to get to that but it seems like so far there's you know and, and and what john just said that's a big thing you know having the software be a little bit shaky for a while as everybody adds compatibility to everything is going to take a while it always does you know that's this is the nature of a transition but on day one, it's really good and it it feels unreal. It it like the, the the amount of speed you get out of these things. Like just just to add one more little benchmark, I I did some overcast build testing, and on my ten core iMac Pro with sixty four gigs of RAM.
0: <laughs> Don't tell me this because we have the same computer. Don't tell yeah. me yeah Ten oh, core, We gotta go, everybody. Thanks 10 for the core, Thank 64 you. Bye. Sixty four gigs of
1: RAM iMac Pro plugged into the wall, it's like 160 watt CPU, 56 seconds to build overcast clean. So 56 seconds. On my new MacBook Air with no fan, uh, it takes about 39 seconds. Why do you do this? And when it thermally throttles, the worst I could get it to be was about 49. So in the worst case scenario throttling, I could. it's only 12% faster than my 10 core iMac Pro why do you do this and in the more common case it's more like 30 percent faster
0: now hold on right there though you paid sign you don't have to give me an exact figure but somewhere around like six or seven thousand dollars for that imac pro yep and how much was this macbook air
2: 1400 bucks or something like that 15 something like that god
0: bless i know the mac i know the imac pro is a little older but golly and here,
2: here's the thing about the 1400 hundred dollar macbook pro the 999 dollar one Probably wouldn't do that any slower. Yeah, I mean the only difference is half the RAM. Every part, other part of it is the same speed. The CPU is the same speed. The RAM is the same speed. The SSD, you know, like it's that. That's why the nine ninety nine one. Not that I recommend people get that. They should get sixteen gigs of RAM if they can possibly afford it, and they should, you know, whatever. But like, it is. That, that's the amazing thing about this this the thing we learned from all the people testing we were wondering oh is it clocked higher is it this or that it seems like the answer is no all of them have variable clock speed as you know adjusting for temperature or whatever and you can get readouts on what they are and it seems like it's around 3.2 gigahertz throttling down to like 2.8 or whatever but they all do that and the only variable is cooling and the penalty for cooling as marco noted the penalty is you are only twelve percent faster than your giant ten core iMac instead of thirty percent faster. <laughs> right, like it's and I'd take that. Like that's
1: fine um, because I love not having a touch bar, and so that's uh, that's currently a very a very nice thing right now. And and like I so I took this out of the box about you know, two hours ago. I I ran Migration Assistant to transfer things onto it. I installed a bunch of software. I ran these benchmarks. And I installed big software like Xcode and Logic, like, you know, massive installations, many gigabytes of downloads and unzipping and and yes, unzipping Xcode and, you know, all these massive operations running these benchmarks. I must have run it nine or 10 times at least. I haven't plugged it in yet. I haven't unwrapped the power brick yet. It's still in the box. Golly. And it's currently, and, and I've had it sitting here like with the monitor on full brightness because I only rock that way. And the battery is still at 60% full. <laughs>
2: do you remember during the setup by the way like mac os if you've set up a mac recently it throws up a notification that says oh uh since we're just setting up your mac uh things may be less responsive until we finish this optimization process what they're basically (laughs) telling you is like photo analysis d is going to run and spotlight indexing is going to run and they put a notification in a couple years ago or whatever that tells you that you may notice some degraded performance and it's like uh no i won't because normally you'd think like (laughs) oh, I'll hear the fans spinning up or things will feel slower or whatever. And that just never happened. So the the dialogue was there, the notification was there, but none of the effects that I could feel were there from this supposed like, oh, I'm I'm doing spotlight and indexing now, so your things might be slower. It was amazing. Yeah,
1: I've also been totally ignoring when, like for instance, when you run Migration Assistant, it, it suggests you plug it in uh, yeah, right. And then also, like when you install Logic, it says you should really plug into a power source before installing Logic. And I just ignore those and plow right through. And then it's done 45 seconds later or something. And the battery has lost less than 1% of its charge. <laughs> like, it's not, that's fine.
0: So, to play this back, these computers, so far anyway, are not extraordinarily expensive, they're extraordinarily fast. And even for the software that isn't updated for it, this is not the journey from PowerPC to Intel from, you know, a decade plus ago. Even stuff that's still compiled for Intel is just as fast as it was, if not faster. This is the no-compromise computer, isn't it?
2: Well, uh, you know, again, with the compatibility concerns, but but yeah, like, the, the future looks extremely bright. Like, one of, one of the great quotes from one of, I think it might have been in that independent article with... Uh, uh federighi and and turnus was i think it was federighi saying that you know the interviewer asked them about what do you think about these new computers or whatever and the quote is we overshot <laughs> it was like we had a goal <laughs> we were trying to make something that's at least this good and it turns out we overshot we made something like it's not like this was this was their target and they met it they you know because this is way they didn't need to make these this good there's no reason for the cheapest Mac that they sell to be faster than the most expensive laptop they sell. Like, that, why would you even make that as a goal unless you're being super ambitious Steve Jobs style or whatever? They just wanted something that was better than Intel and had a bright future. But these things are phenomenal, right? And it shows the most in these cheapos, right? Because here's the thing. When they make the high-end ones, don't expect the high – like, the current MacBook Air is so much faster than the previous one the new mac pro is going to be way faster than the old mac pro but the margins will narrow i feel like potentially depending on how they fudge you know benchmarks with special like uh, fpgas or whatever right because it's you know it's more impressive when the sub one thousand dollar thing is like the fastest mac ever in single core than it is when the six thousand dollar one is because the six thousand dollar one is going to be the fastest mac ever by a large margin but you expect that because it's six thousand dollars um, we talked about this with the, you know, what Macs do you think they're going to roll out first? And we always framed it as like, well, if they roll out the low end, won't it be embarrassing for Apple if, if their cheapest Mac is faster than their more expensive one? And here we are. And yeah, in some respects, it is quote unquote embarrassing that the cheapest laptop they sell can do a whole bunch of things way faster than the most expensive one. I But I think, I feel like Apple is willing to endure that to say, but yeah, but we sell that computer too. Like that's us too. Like, we, you know, we're we not afraid of embarrassing our current products with our new products, especially since we're going to replace those other ones soon anyway. And we're not worried about, oh, well, no one's ever going to buy a 16 inch because if you need whatever, 64 gigs of RAM or a four terabyte or an eight terabyte SSD or whatever, or you need to run some Intel program, you can't do that on these because those, these are the low end models. So you still have to buy that, like kind of like how they still kept selling the uh the trash can max some people needed them for certain things they needed to do and even though we felt like that computer is a dud you're still able to sell some of them and obviously apple wants to replace them asap but whatever the calculus was that was in their head if they had rolled out the top end first and gone down it would have like saved this sort of weird situation we're in where how does it make any sense that your slowest computer is now your fastest computer i don't understand it doesn't make it but you know we're all fine with it because, like, I'm telling everybody I know who's like, what computer should I get? I kept telling them to wait, and now I just want to, like, send out the carrier pigeons. Fly! Go buy MacBook Airs! <laughs> they are amazing! Your wait has paid off! Buy these computers now because the, the the MacBook Air, I feel like, is, like, the best performance deal of Macs that have ever existed and will probably never be beat because we will never have this discontinuity from we were so slow for so long and then we made this huge limp, leap. And on the cheapest Mac that they sell that has a screen. I'm, I'm sorry, Mac Mini, mean, I keep excluding you. I know you're cheaper. Yeah, I mean, this, and this, to me, like, this feels kind of
1: like when we got SSDs in in the sense that, like, in, in my computing life so far, there are only a very small number of performance jumps where when you first use something, you're like, whoa. Like, you actually really notice the difference. That does not happen very often. You know, usually we get incremental progress. We're lucky if we get a processor that's like, you know, 20% faster than, than the old one we had from a few years ago or whatever. Like, it's hard to, in, in computing, it's hard to have major jumps like this. It doesn't happen very often
2: well it's kind of like in the days with like 286 to if you had a 286 and you got a pentium you got that kind of jump right like because in the early days we had bigger leaps but it's been a long time since you since you go from like your your 386 to your pentium and and have your hair blown back and this is like that again (laughs) exactly and
1: you know the only time i can think of in recent memory that we had a jump like this was when we went to ssds but going to ssds was a very like long and painful and expensive transition and in and many fronts,
2: yeah, and they were expensive. like you you had an sSD. you had to get a tiny one, and they cost a hojillion dollars. So yeah, it was amazing. But the reason it took so long is because they cost so much money. You're like, well, but I've got a lot of data. I can't get an sSD. This is like if sSDs came out. And they were cheaper than spinning hard drives for the same number of bytes. <laughs> yeah, cheaper and
1: way faster. Like that, cause that's like my first SSD was one hundred and sixty gigs, and so you know I had like you know you had to like split it up. You had to have like all right, we'll have the SSD for like the OS and maybe like you know the the cache folder for Bridge or Photoshop or whatever, and then you'd put your main data on your hard drive so it's not to take up all the expensive SSD space. Um, and you know, you had all these, like, hacks and everything, and it was a long, painful transition before we... And many people still haven't fully made the transition because it's so expensive still. it's it, SSDs are still way more expensive than hard drives even today. The, you know, this is on that level of a transition in terms of how meaningful it is to the performance and, and balance of these computers, except the downside is way less. Way, way less. And the downside will be totally gone Within probably a year, like you know, the main downside is basically what John said earlier. Like, yeah, not all the software works yet, but that's going to be
2: gone soon. Uh, not works. Not all the software works at maximum speed. Some software doesn't work at all, like for the Unix stuff that needs to be compiled. But you know, regular Mac programs. If you're listening to this and you don't know what Unix is, don't worry about it, right? Because regular Mac programs, you don't need them to do anything. Just run the Intel versions. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. but this this is just such an
1: incredible gain. It this is. Oh, I'm so like just as a as a Mac fan and as a fan of computers, this is so exciting to me. The, the, I'm so happy with this. I, it, it has blown me away, and I will, you know, once the once the big ones come out, I I do still I think want to be in the 16 inch size class for my laptop needs. Um, so once that comes out, I will probably go back to that size. But I am super excited for. This to progress and and to keep going, you know, to see what the rest of the lineup looks like. Super excited now to replace my iMac whenever the time comes, which I I was not excited about before, but now I now I very much am. I'm I'm very much looking forward to this time. And and it's it's a great time to be
2: a fan of computers right now. One other fun benchmark that Panzer did was uh, he did an app launch thing. Uh, which is the thing that I used to do in Mac OS X versions to see because they would brag about improving app launch or whatever. So he's got a dock lined up at the bottom of his computer with a ton of apps in it, like spreading the whole width of his screen. And he just takes his cursor from right to left and goes click, 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 click and clicks each one of the apps. Right. <laughs> and, and just goes from one end to the other and launches all the apps. Right. And they bounce like once, like one bounce done, one bounce done. Like as he clicks the, behind him, the apps are all finishing as his cursor moves along it's it's phenomenal it's like why should how how are they launching that fast why what is the is it just the cpu is i mean is the ssd a little faster maybe stuff got pulled into cache but it's only got eight gigs of RAM. like it's inexplicably fast like it's phenomenally fast now some of that is the new computer effect right and some of it is if you've launched them before you get cached or whatever but i can tell you from long experience of doing that exact experiment i've never seen performance like that even on ssd max right so whatever apple's doing keep doing it we are sponsored this week by
1: Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com ATP. Enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace is quite simply the best way to make a website. You need to make a website for something, whether it's your own project or someone else is asking you to make a site for them because you're the computer nerd in their life. Build it on Squarespace. You can start with a 100% free trial at squarespace.com ATP. And you can start using it, and you will see for yourself how amazing Squarespace is, all without paying a dime or without giving them a credit card. You can actually build the entire site, and you will see. There's no coding knowledge required. There, everything is visual and kind of you know, drag and drop. What you see is what you get, live previewing. And not only can you pick your amazing template to start that are all professionally designed, And you can, of course, you know, put in whatever content you want, but you can also customize it to your heart's content. You can customize where things go, how things look, logos, colors, fonts, sizes, whatever you want to customize with Squarespace, you can do that. All of this is with built-in, intuitive, easy-to-use tools. They even can register a domain for you, and you'll get that for free if you sign up for a year. Once your site is up, they help you keep it up. You don't have to worry about things like load management or security patches or software updates. They take care of all of that for you. It's out of your hands. You just focus on your content and your business, and that's it. If you need any help, they have amazing support, but honestly, it's so easy. I don't think you're going to need their support, but if you do, it is really great. I've used it a couple times over the years. See for yourself at squarespace.com ATP. Start that free trial site today. When you decide to sign up, make sure to head back there, squarespace.com slash ATP, and use the offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com slash ATP, offer code ATP for 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. I love that this is the week that Apple has lowered the App Store commission, and we're an hour and a half in before we get to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, so let's properly introduce this. Uh, just today, this morning, uh, even as I woke up, uh, which usually these things seem to happen later in the day, uh, Apple has announced that if you meet certain qualifications and in certain circumstances and if this and if that, that you can, as an app developer, get them to only take 15% cut off of your sales rather than 30 and the short, short version of this is it's for small businesses that earn up to a million dollars per year. But there seem to be a lot of, well, what abouts and oh, waits and so on. But at least at first and on the surface, this is a very welcome change and one that I'm quite surprised to see Apple make.
1: Yeah, that quite surprised is is putting it lightly. I mean, <laughs> I have been saying for years, as as many Apple commentators and developers have, there's no chance they're going to ever lower that commission from 70 30
2: no oh, chance at same. all yep. and I, i've yep. been trying to talk you down on that ledge because every time you bring it up i say well they did lower it to eighty five fifteen for subscriptions and you're like yeah but and so you know like the the explanation the obvious explanation is what's changed recently that apple would be doing this the <laughs> app Store's been running for so long and they haven't ever changed their cut and in recent years they did the eighty five fifteen, and then very recently you know just today they did this thing hmm Could it be the uh, congressional attention they're getting? Could it be Mm -hmm. the antitrust lawsuits against Google? Could it be, you know, companies like Epic uh, having big fights with them? Like, you know, uh, sometimes, especially very fervent Apple fans, don't like the idea that there's any sort of countervailing force to Apple, whether it be government intervention or companies like Epic making a big stink and throwing tantrums and filing lawsuits. But without pushback... Apple, as evidenced by the many initial years of the store, is not motivated to change anything. And now, there's a little bit of motivation, and we see a change, and I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's a lot of details to this that,
1: that are worth knowing, but the, the gist of it, that most developers are now going to have 15% across the board, is really quite something. Like, that... And and I think, and this is not the kind of thing they would have decided, you know, over the weekend. I mean, this is the kind of thing, this has probably been in the works for a few months, if I had to guess. Uh, And this has a meaningful impact on the stock perception for their services revenue. Now, that being said, and so so all that is to say it's a big deal. That like, it isn't just like Apple, you know, out of the goodness of their heart, just giving us more money. They are also going to take a hit to a degree In this because they make a lot of money from app store revenue but the way it's structured is that only developers who make less than a million dollars a year get this new commission if you make over a million dollars a year through the app store after their cut then you you're still paying 70 30 or you know the 85 15 on the year two and above subscriptions just like just like before and it turns out that the app store has very much a long tail effect for revenue So, if you look at the total amount of money that Apple is going to keep at the end of the day, most of that money comes from a small number of very, very big, very profitable companies and apps and games and stuff. So, Apple, like, this is not a huge amount of sweat off Apple's back, because... Most of the money they make from the App Store are from the Epics and you know Netflixes and HBOs of the world. It's from those massive companies. And the commission on all those things is not going to change because those companies all make way more than a million dollars a year from the App Store. What this does change is for that giant long tail of developers like me who make less than a million dollars a year from the App Store, we just got to raise, basically. The, again, this is something that like I never would have expected apple to do because quite frankly they didn't need to you know there has been all this pressure on them for you know antitrust regulation and everything and and all the big companies that are going to apply this pressure to them they're not getting this this cut (laughs) because they make too much money so this won't help them at all and i don't think this will relieve a lot of pressure from apple with the regulatory stuff honestly I think the only way to relieve that pressure is to allow other forms of in-app purchase in, in apps. That's it. Like Anything short of that is not going to relieve that any trust pressure. But that's something I think that would cost Apple way more than this because all those big companies would do it and,
2: and then Apple would lose all of their revenue. This is a very shrewd move for exactly the reasons you said, that it makes a lot, in terms of number of people, it makes a lot of people happy because there are way more developers making under a million dollars. And to be clear, it's under a million dollars in profit, not revenue. They're way more than making under a million than over, right? So number of people who are happier today, huge number. It doesn't cost Apple that much money because they make most of the money off of the, the whales, like the big, the big profit makers. <laughs> and those two things, like in, you know, when we're talking about antitrust and stuff, yes, there is the, you know, legal aspect of that, but there's also the political and optics aspect of it. And, Despite Apple saying, Oh, we charge thirty percent, that's what everyone else charges. It's a good thing to be able to say the next time they're grilled to say, Hey, we you know, ninety percent of our developers just got their revenue share cut in half from, you know, from 30 to 15 and look at all these testimonials from developers who are happy and so on and so forth. Those optics matter despite the fact that we all know what did Apple really give up? Did they give up a ton of money? They gave up some, they gave up a non-zero amount, but they didn't do like what Marco said of, you know, you can use a different payment method which would really cut into it. Right. Um, and so it's, it's good to be able to have that in your quiver when someone starts leaning on you again. Now, all that said in the end, this type of, uh, dynamic where there's a a, you know a company in this case a tech company that we think has uh, may have uh too much power and is using that power to do things that are good for it at the expense of other people right that's the whole the whole government effort of like let's look at these companies that have lots of money and lots of power and let's make sure they're not they're not making the world worse for everyone who's not them right in some way right antitrust is a specific instance of that but in general the government is always looking at that in terms of regulation right um if that activity of of looking into it and asking them hard questions and considering what we might do about it causes that company to say hmm, what about this what about if we do like this and you look at it and go eh, that pleases me a little hmm you haven't changed the power dynamic because apple was and remains in the exact same position as they were in that they're voluntarily doing that. They're voluntarily doing that to try to avoid someone making them do something presumably worse. They haven't <laughs> given up any, of, any iota of their self-determination by doing this. So if you're worried that this company has too much power, they still have all that power. All they're doing is being ben- a benevolent dictator of the app store and say, we bestow upon you an additional 15%. <laughs> right but you haven't changed the fact that they are the only app store they require the payment method, they make the rules they can change the rules at any like none of that has changed so fundamentally and this is what lots of people are screaming about fundamentally nothing has changed in the dynamic but practically speaking people are happier and people get more money this is exactly why you do this move do it voluntarily rather than digging in your heels and refusing to change anything in the hopes of heading off something that could be much worse right so I think this change is great, despite the fact that it will not help me at all because my apps don't make any money anymore. So I really wish they could have done this (laughs) back for the three days a year ago when my two dinky Mac apps made some money. But oh, well, uh, now maybe I'll get 25 cents a week instead of 15 or five or whatever. Anyway, um, (laughs) but yeah, this is going to make a lot of people happy. It's a move in the right direction, but has still not fundamentally changed the power dynamics, right? Now, you could argue that the fact that they did anything shows that there is some power on the other side of that. And that's true, but relying on the benevolence of the powerful is a bad strategy long-term. And that's the situation we're still in right now. So I'm glad that we have some benevolence. I like it. It's good. But I don't like relying on that benevolence as the only thing keeping the situation from getting much worse. Oh, completely agreed, and that's why,
1: like, this doesn't really solve many of the problems of Apple's position with the App Store, but it it is nice, like, to, to be on this side of it, it's just a nice thing to, for them to have done, and I know it's not, again, this is not charity, I know this was to serve a political purpose, and it will serve that purpose very well. You know, you think about the different angles of this, you know, they, they're now going to be able to say, you know, all the different small businesses and individuals, they've helped with this and how you know, how how much they contribute to the economy with all these small businesses. Like So as future antitrust pressure and government pressure and regulatory pressure, as more stuff falls on them in that area, they're going to be able to point to this and say, look at all the good we've done here for all these other small businesses. At the same time, because they've made public these terms and they have this million-dollar threshold – uh below books you get the you get the benefit they've also kind of helped alienate anybody who tries to complain about it because if you complain about this what you're saying is i make more than a million dollars from the app store every year and it kind of, it's kind of a bad look in pr in certain circles so you know it's it's a it's a very smart move what they've done here and i'm just happy to be on the good side of it um but certainly the the pr here there there is certainly some you know utility to this for them that is not lost on them and finally, while I am slightly, slightly, uh, you know, complaining about things here, <laughs> not, I, I love what they did here, um, but the way they implemented it is a little bit odd to me and creates some weird incentives. So normally the way progressive taxation or progressive fees work, and this is the way, you know, U.S. income tax works this way, is normally like if you say that, you know, The amount you make up to X is taxed at this percentage, and then anything above that is taxed at this percentage. Those are structured in such a way that when you cross that threshold between the two percentages, you don't suddenly pay the higher tax rate on everything you made before. You only pay the higher tax rate on the marginal difference between that threshold and your total income. So there is no amount of money that you can, like, by making a dollar more in revenue, you take home less total. That, that would be weird, I and mean, we'd create perverse incentives. What they're doing with this is kind of doing that in one way. So if you cross a threshold, for the rest of that year, you pay the regular 70%, or you, you know you get the regular 70% instead of the 85%. Um, so say you cross a million dollars in October, then in November and December, you're, you're going to pay seventy thirty instead of eighty five fifteen. But you you know you still have the money you made the rest of the year for all the other monthly payouts that were taxed at the eighty five fifteen rate. But the way this program works is you only get the eighty five fifteen on your first million if you made under a million dollars in the previous year. So if you cross a million, yes, it is progressively taxed for the rest of that year. But then the entire next year, you get 70-30 split, even if you end up making less than a million for that whole next year. So there is a weird incentive that like, if you are going to make a a little bit above a million, it's basically if you're going to make between 1 million and 1.2 million or so, you actually have an incentive to maybe stop making money if you're going to do that near the very end of a year. Because if like in December, you're going to cross over a million, you're actually better off pulling your app from the store <laughs> and, oh, and not goodness. and just not making any money so that you stand at that threshold so that for the entire next year, you don't have the higher tax rate on your entire income. So I don't I'm not entirely sure why they have this structure with this kind of like you have to make under a million in the whole previous year to qualify thing because that creates this weird perverse incentive.
2: So I hope they iron this out. I mean, it's that way because it makes them more money because they want they want seventy thirty for the whole next year because they think, oh, you're turning into a whale. Like they, what they don't expect is to you to cross over to a million in the next year to make like nothing, right? So they say once you cross that threshold, you're now in the category of the 70-30 people. And this set of rules makes Apple more money than the one you described. Exactly. More but fair, right? That's the advantage. But like
1: if they, if they would just tax the first million at 15 percent, and then anything above that at 30 like
2: that would be a much simpler system and And it's clear they know how to do that because they do that for the first year right that that you were just describing it's not like they don't have the ability to do that because of some quirk of their accounting system no they do that for the year when you cross a million right and 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 i think i think microsoft
1: even does that like there's some other store that does that for like their app store um or something similar to that so that like i don't know why they aren't doing it that way which would eliminate any weird perverse incentives to not earn more money um but i hope that they have some very good reason for that and that they can fix that reason and get rid of that weird limitation otherwise this is a very good thing and i'm very happy to see it
2: yeah the the other thing that made this made me think of uh related to our past discussions about the app store and the cut and actual acts Apple's past actions. Um and this has analogies in general government, not just the government of App Stores. Um we in the past we discussed the idea where, you know, Netflix got a secret sweetheart deal so they didn't have to pay 30% because Netflix was huge and they did this deal with Apple that was kind of a, you know, an open secret that hey Apple, well, you know, Netflix is not paying 30%. Um uh, because they're a big company and big companies get special deals with other big companies. And I, many times I've described that as that's the way business works. Like, and it's true. Like if you look at any kind of business, if you're gonna buy one or two little widgets from a company, you get a certain rate. But if you're gonna buy ten million of them, you get like your own special sales team and they schmooze you and you get a better rate and you can negotiate, <laughs> right? Big companies have power. That power manifests usually in them getting better deals with other big companies. And so every time, you know, Netflix or whoever got a uh, sweetheart deal for the App Store, it's like, hey, why don't I get that? It was part of the whole antitrust thing of Apple saying we treat everyone the same. Like, we know that's not true. You treat big companies differently. And I don't think that's outrageous or ridiculous because that's true of everybody that Apple works with. All the companies that Apple works with. Depending on the power of that company, whether it be a supplier for parts and how exclusive that part is or whatever, there are power dynamics between companies, and it makes perfect sense for big companies to get better deals, right? So one way Apple could have gone, following the sort of capitalist business ethic uh, ethos, is, you know, we're powerful companies, we're butting heads here or whatever. Um, if there's some big company, like say Epic or pick whatever, whatever big company you want, Microsoft, like whatever big company that is important to the App Store, Adobe, you know, they're not. not I don't know. It's that's different because Adobe has something going on. Anyway, um, they could have said, "Okay, well, we need to keep these big companies happy, so let's strike a deal with Microsoft to get Office onto the Mac, and we'll give Microsoft a smaller cut." Right? You know, and that type of arrangement that I'm describing that Apple has done at various times. You know, the Netflix example is real, but Microsoft is hypothetical. I don't know. um, Is the opposite of what they're doing here. Because this is like saying, okay, uh, on the App Store, we take a 30% cut, but once you make more than a million, we take a 15% cut. And if you make more than a billion, we take a 5% cut. That kind of progressive tax system where the more you make, the less you pay, it's like the American income tax system in, in reality, right? If not in law, but sometimes also in law, right? And that type of system makes a certain kind of sense that we're all used to, which is, Oh, but they're Netflix. Of course they get a deal. You're not Netflix. You can't negotiate a special deal with Apple to get a lower rate. Why should you get a lower rate? And the argument from from the people, from the little people, has been, but Netflix can afford to pay more. The the 15% that I'm not getting and Netflix is getting is the difference between me being able to be an independent developer and me having to get a different job. Whereas with Netflix, it's a it's a you know a question of what their stock price is and their profitability and so on and so forth, right? So that's the argument we always make is like that that percentage means more to the smaller person, which is why I think most people agree that a more reasonable and fair tax system is if you're making barely enough money to survive, you should have a lower tax rate than someone who's making gazillions of dollars, again, with the progressive tax rate. Oh, your first million is taxed like this, but your million and first dollar should be taxed higher. And you can't cry poverty and say, oh, but my million and first dollar was charged at 5% higher. <laughs> I can't live anymore. It doesn't, that's, you know, so that's, that argument, like, we don't cross these worlds of like, oh, real life versus the app store or whatever, but they do cross over. And what Apple has done here is recognize that. I mean, previously had I don't want to get to make this political. Previously had a flat tax, ostensibly a flat tax, thirty percent for everybody. Caveat asterisk double dagger so on and so forth, as we say, right? Uh, you know, and one direction they could have gone is the big ones are big companies are going to have bigger deals, and we're going to codify that. Like we're not going to just do a a special deal with netflix we're going to say look once you make 300 million dollars you're down to five percent cut because we want big companies to sell lots in our store that helps our revenue that helps our stock price and for all the things that we talked about how this is actually like a very smart thing for apple to do because it doesn't really hurt them part of the goodness of this arrangement is is the opposite of that they are giving the cut to the people who need it the most And the people who will hurt Apple the least like that's right in there. But still, it doesn't change the fact that they're giving the cut to the people who need it the most, the most numerous people and the people for whom it will have the largest impact, right? And you think like, oh, a million dollars, if you're making a million dollars, you're rich. If you have a five person company, a million dollars might not be enough to keep your head above water. So we can argue about what the right threshold is for a company selling software, right? Um, But certainly for individual developers, if you're making a million dollars in profit off the app store, you're fine. If you're a 20-person company making a million dollars a year off the app store, maybe you're not fine. But the trend is in the right direction. Like, that line, the slope of, like, we went from flat tax to a line tilted, I'm glad the line didn't go in the other direction, which would be, you know, the big companies get the break. And feel free to make whatever analogies to broader government you want. I'm trying not to be super political here, but I feel like you can make your own conclusions.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I feel like this is this is a a thing that can cost Apple not a lot of money, but can reap incredible amounts of positive PR and positive feelings. So why not do it? Right. You know, it, if all of the money is made on the whales, which I think you're right, it absolutely is. Then yeah, let's give the little guys uh, a a little boost and it's really not going to cost that much. It won't really change the bottom line. And everyone's going to think we're so benevolent and so wonderful and so great. And hopefully, some of the people who think we're so great now are the people in government who are really looking up, uh, looking, <laughs> looking at our finances and wondering, you know, and looking at in our behavior and wondering if we're being fair. Well, of course we're being fair. This is what you guys said, said earlier. Of course we're being fair. We gave more money to the little guys. What else could you want from us? And so yeah, I think this is this is something that should definitely be applauded without question. But it is not a lot of effort to earn a whole lot of good PR. And if I'm in Apple shoes, I would have done the same thing. But I don't know. I still feel like. Other more substantive, substantive whatever
1: that be Substantive? Know that bigger
0: changes. Yeah, that. Uh, other bigger changes would have been more useful, but I'm not going to kick a gift horse in the mouth. This is still excellent, and I applaud them for doing it.
1: Thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Linode, and ExpressVPN. And thank you to our members who support us directly. You can do that at atp.fm slash join. We will talk to you all next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental
2: Accidental. And you can find the show notes at ATP.FM And if you're into Twitter You can follow
1: them a-
2: A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S
1: So that's Casey Liss Anti Marco Arman S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A Syracuse It's accidental Accidental They didn't mean to Accidental
0: Can you uh, give me a moment to shed a little light on something that's uh, on the verge of ruining my marriage? And I say that mostly jokingly, but not Mm -hmm. entirely. Um, I've been complaining and moaning a lot lately about this weird issue that started for both Aaron and I, when we got our iPhones 12 and that is that, you know, many of our friends and pretty much all of Aaron's family are on Android. And, From what I can tell, when we are shooting SMSs back and forth between, like, one of us and one other Android person, everything works great. But in a lot of cases, we're in these group messages, which I believe are, strictly speaking, delivered over MMS. And these group messages are, you know, like, two or three iPhone people and two or three Android people. And both of us are having consistent problems wherein one of us well we're not always in the same groups, but oftentimes we are so like family groups, for example and I and let's say there were ten messages sent, iPhones and Android phones. my phone will receive five of them Aaron's phone will receive seven of them and they are they are of course not the same you know two batches of text messages. I don't need to belabor the point, but Erin has been lighting me up about this justifiably because she's missing messages from loved ones, from friends. She's been lighting me up about this for the three weeks, whatever it is, we've had our phones. I've been lighting up every Apple engineer I know saying, please fix this for the love of God. Uh, Erin is mostly jokingly threatening to buy an Android phone. I think she's joking. I'm not sure she's joking. (laughs) So if you're a person who works at Apple, I will put a feedback in the show notes. Can you please, please do something about this? Because it's driving me crazy, and I joke about it ruining my marriage. But seriously, it is killing the two of us. Can you please do something about this? Please and thank you.
2: This is what Apple gets for not making uh, <laughs> FaceTime an open protocol or message like like the the SMS system, as we all know, is primitive and old and weird or whatever. But because there is, it is the sort of open standard of messaging if your phone doesn't work with it your phone is broken you're like oh well, iMessage iMessage is great yeah but but everyone doesn't have iMessage it's like why doesn't everyone have iMessage well it's because it's just an apple thing well if you want everyone to have iMessage you can't have it just be an apple thing uh and if you don't want everyone to have iMessage you better make damn sure that the one thing everybody supposedly has no not whatsapp the one thing everybody has uh works and in in our country that's sms the sort of lowest common denominator um, yeah. And so that's crappy when bugs like that happen. And you can imagine why they happen. It's like, well, but who pays attention to SMS? Like, how many times are Apple employees using SMS? They're probably using iMessage way more.
0: And but. that's the problem. And that's that's the thing that really that really bugs me about this is I feel like this is widespread enough because, like I said, I've complained about it on Twitter and people have I thought it was an AT&T issue at first. And then people on like Verizon and other American carriers said, no, 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 it's me, too and then i thought it was an american thing or something and then people in europe were like no 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 it's me too then i thought it was an iphone iphone 12 thing and some people on like iphone 11 said no 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 me too um but i talked to a couple of apple people about it and they were like wow i never send sms's ever and i'm like oh my god i cannot hit my face you know the palm, i can i cannot face palm harder when i hear things like that because it's like this is the biggest issue i have with apple is is not dog fooding or not dog fooding everything? Like, yeah, they dog food iMessage, but they don't dog food SMS or group MMSs or anything like that. You know, do, does anyone at Apple really and truly use their tube and their assistant? Because anyone who has really and truly used their assistant knows it's a piece of garbage compared to other assistants or maybe that's the other side of this coin is they dog food too much and they don't see what the other side of the of the of the fence looks like and they don't see how much better the Amazon tube is than theirs and it's just, it's very frustrating because it, it you know here's a phone that is possibly my favorite iPhone ever and I cannot reliably receive messages from friends and family and like it is an internet communicator that was one of the three pillars wasn't it an internet communicator and it is not communicating it's driving me crazy
2: uh, sms isn't the internet yeah, fine, fine, fine,
0: fine. And oh, and just to get away, from, just to get in front of everyone. No, I am not going to convince all of my friends and family to get WhatsApp. I don't want WhatsApp. I don't use <laughs> WhatsApp. I do not have the clout, the wherewithal, the desire to convince everyone else I know to use WhatsApp. Yeah, it's not that,
2: happening. Any, that's, those are boil the ocean strategies. Any strategy that involves getting everyone you're related to to do anything related to technology is basically a no go. Unless you're going to buy it all for them, and even then, even then, if you were going to buy them all iPhones, I bet some of them would reject it.
0: Oh, I've offered iPhones to like, so as an example, um, Aaron's youngest brother is on Android. His fiance is on on an iPhone and I have offered to literally give him my 11, which I just got repaired. I think I mentioned on the show, I just got repaired brand new screen on it. I've offered to literally give it to him and he doesn't, he's not interested. He just doesn't want it. So anyway, Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we made brief mention of this last episode, but it might've hit the cutting room floor Uh, a few weeks ago. My name is T in the chat. Uh, wrote something about what had ended up happening last week but we didn't have time for it and my name is T wrote uh, after show request for oh, you know, I can't do this week, this room.
2: time <laughs> We keep bringing don't this don't up this with, when we're 2 hours into an episode and it's like Marco please summarize 10 years 10 years of podcasting oh my god in Are the next fine, 5 fine, minutes
0: fine let the record show I was interested to hear this I have
1: four
2: fisherman's friend half cough drops left I, that, that, I
1: can't I what? can't do a
2: huge segment right now oh what what you've got here casey is what i call one of the topics that ends up getting pushed down in the list it's a big topic if we're going to talk about 10 years of podcasting you know we're gonna need time to do it it's also a little bit navel-gazy and usually there's more pressing news so these topics there's a lot of them that i have like that that end up in the topic list and they just end up getting pushed down over time and by leaving this in after show it's like every each time it's like this time we're going to be able to do it even if marco was 100 healthy Two hours in is not the time to talk about – to summarize 10 years of podcasting. So (laughs) my name is T. It's a tall order for us to tackle your thing. We would have to really wait for like the summer when there's no news. But we have so much friggin' Apple news that we don't probably have time to reminisce about being podcasters.
0: Fine. I tried. I tried again. Nobody loves me. It's okay. Do you want to just do titles then or do you want to talk about your cases?
2: I, I need to just tell the people about the cases because they keep asking me about it. Um, All my cases haven't arrived, uh, my iPhone 12 cases. I'm supposed to talk about iPhone 12 cases that have the bottom exposed and how much I like them and so on and so forth. But my order is like, I don't know what's taking so long. My one order said it's supposed to arrive in 15 business days, which I hadn't noticed before. And we haven't reached 15 business days. So it's not overdue yet, but um, I don't have all my cases. I have not found a case that I super duper like. Um, I guess I can do a quick, you know, brief review of the one i have i got the senna case s-e-n-a it's a leather case it has an exposed bottom it's got metal buttons uh the metal buttons are textured but i knew that going in because you could see it in the photos uh pros the leather is super grippy and tacky i love it like the apple ones are always slippery when you first get them and then they get broken in this one right out of the case very grippy leather um and of course the bottom is exposed and it's good and the corners uh look good on it they're not fraying or anything like that cons the buttons are way too hard to press for me. If you like firm button presses, this is your phone. Because they are super firm presses. Like, if you're worried about these buttons getting accidentally pressed in your pocket, probably not going to happen with these ones. But they are so hard to press that I almost immediately took this case off and just threw it away.
1: One thing I noticed about the um, about that case in particular is like, I, I, when, I, when I got it, I noticed that when you look on the inside, like when you have no phone in it and you're looking at the inside of the case.
2: <laughs> Which is all you're doing because you don't have a phone.
1: <laughs> yes, that's why I, I had a lot of time to do this. <laughs> the um, Like where the buttons are, the inside of the buttons is the same material and seemingly at the same thickness as the rest of the case. Whereas if you mm-hmm. look at an Apple leather case where the buttons are there's like a thinner like rubber kind of membrane material there instead of the whole full thickness leather so i'm guessing that's something you need to look out for as like how to make the buttons feel better and be easier to press or not
2: yeah and so this is this is granted it's a personal preference and if you like stiff buttons this is the one for you i wanted them to be separate like stiff buttons yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know maybe if you have accidental presses a lot you don't have to worry about this but like here's how stiff buttons manifest to be terrible like when i have my phone sitting on like the sideboard when i'm in the kitchen doing dishes and i want to turn the volume up and apple stupid airpods don't provide a way to do that <laughs> i've got to walk into the i got to walk into the the, the your watch does yeah my what i don't I have, know i anyway, know i'm just I, saying i got to walk into the other room and what i want to do is just reach down it's laying flat face up on on a little table thing i just want to reach down to it and press the volume button seems like a simple task But if it requires a ton of pressure, now I have to get a firmer grip, press hard, but make sure you don't have your opposing finger on the power button because you'll take a screenshot Mm -hmm. and it's actually hard to do. Now, not so hard that I can't struggle. Oh, my little muscles, I can't do it. It's just (laughs) annoyingly stiff. I want to be able to just do it thoughtlessly and now I have to like concentrate a little bit. Uh, The second thing is the texturing on the buttons is way rougher than I thought it would be. I thought it would be like kind of like a little bit rough or whatever. Like, I wanted them to be smooth, but I'm like, oh, if they're a little textured, that's fine. But, like, you could file your nails with this. You could probably, <laughs> you know, you could probably escape prison with one of these things. But just, like, <laughs> rubbing it on the bars, eventually you'll get through. Very rough texture. And the buttons stick out sort of proud of the case a lot more than the Apple ones do. The Apple ones are recessed a little bit. So, you know, they're not entirely recessed. They do stick out a little bit. But I like the more recessed thing. Um, and finally, in terms of the leather quality, even though the feel of this is great and it's very tacky, which is what I want, the leather does seem to be, I don't know, thinner or there's less of it or less durable because I've already got like some Mars on the back of it, some scratches wh- that I can see. And the way the leather bunches around the curves, like it's not overall as nicely sort of gathered. I put a link in the, I put a photo in the show notes. I don't know if we'll put it in show art or whatever, but it's like, it's, it's a picture of the Apple leather case showing the, the volume buttons and the cutout for the the, the ring silent switch and the Apple ones. Every curve is just smooth. There's no, like, wrinkling or bunching, like, in any of the curve parts. Everything is rounded over. The buttons are recessed in a little rounded over area. This thing, the, 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 the ring silence switch, is like someone just a put took a razor cookie cutter and went slam and just cut out a slice. The edges are sharp, and it's just like there is no sort of rounding over of it at all. It's just like they cut, they slice right through the thing. And so you can see all the different layers of the case, right? So that aspect of it is both... I feel like it feels a little bit cheaper, probably is less durable, and also doesn't look as nice. Um, that said, it's still on the case because you know why? It's got an exposed bottom, and I like that. Um, <laughs> I did consider going back to the Apple silicone case because having used the, the swipe up on the exposed bottom for a while, I mean, I used it without a case for a while, so there shouldn't be new. It's like, isn't it the same swiping up from the bottom without the case versus an exposed bottom? It's the same edge the whole time, but I have to say that Even without a case, it is less satisfying than the old rounded over 11 to swipe up from the bottom. So I did have the thought that's like, well, you liked every other aspect of the silicone case better better, except for the bottom swipe, and it wasn't quite as tacky as this. So why not just switch back to the silicone one? But instead, I'm like, well, let me wait for my next leather case to come so I can try that one out. But it hasn't arrived yet. So if you're looking for me to endorse a case that I personally like that has a bottom cut out and is made of leather. I cannot endorse the Senate case, but you might like it if you like rough metal buttons that stick out a lot and are hard to press.
1: If you have one of those like hand grip exercise things, like the like the the springs between the <laughs> two like grip, you know, lines that you put your your hand around, you know?
2: <laughs> if you like those, Maybe you'll like using these buttons. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, and maybe they'll soften up more over time. They haven't softened up so far. I don't know. Um, you know so I, I think this is not a bad case. It is just not to my taste. And it's not to my taste in ways that I was not able to ascertain by looking at the pictures.
1: Or if you have to break out of prison.
2: Yeah.